Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to a new episode of FF Plus. I'm Aaron, and with me, as per usual, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hola. We are excited about tonight. At least I'm excited about tonight. I haven't verbally heard Patrick say he's excited about tonight, but I have seen He's excited about tonight. There he goes. There we go. So now we officially are both excited about tonight. We have a full show for you. We have two new reviews, spoiler-free, of course. We are going to discuss two incredibly big trailers that dropped in the last couple of days. And then we have my favorite feline to talk about. That's right, cats. So you're going to want to stick around. You're going to enjoy this, I think. Patrick, this, this is a part of the week that I have come to always look forward to. It's, like you don't forward to the podcast? Please I, tell me that's not the case. Wow, you're like Twitter in the flesh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> triggered. Hashtag triggered. <laughs> no, it, don't be so cynical. I, of course Sorry. I look forward to the podcast. But in reality, this is so different than the podcast. It's just fun to get together and be able to talk about things in this format and then sure. to deep dive on the podcast on Sundays. I mean, it's, yeah. it's such a great flow, and I hope that the listeners are enjoying it. Yeah, I think I think the inside baseball conversation should be, you know, catered towards the fact that this was our what we've been up to section. It usually encompasses like movie reviews or things like books and things like that. And what I love about this format and this show specifically is that we get to expand on that a little bit. We get to kind of have different categories of things and it feels just sort of a little bit it feels different, which I think is is good because it's nice to get that break from what we normally do on on Sundays, which is great, but it's just a different kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get going. I guess that we've got a lot to cover, so we'll just jump right in. Our first review that we're going to talk about is a movie called The Wedding Guest. And, of course, I didn't prepare well enough to write down the synopsis. Did you potentially do that by chance? I went with the IMDb synopsis, which was roughly a man travels around India and Pakistan mysteriously or something to that effect. Like it was just this one line after committing a weird kidnapping. Yeah. That's about yes. the plot of this movie. Yeah. It stars Dev Patel, which is, I think what interested you and I both for the mm-hmm. most part was yeah. we are big fans of Dev Patel. Most people probably love Dev Patel going back to Slumdog Millionaire, but I think we have a little bit of a different connection to Dev yes. Patel. Yeah, and uh, that would be his character in our beloved series from Aaron Sorkin, The Newsroom. Exactly. So we like Dev Patel. And I got to say, this movie has him looking rugged. I mean, he is a different Dev Patel than you have ever seen before. This is a tryout, I think, for the next James Bond. James Bond, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think this might be it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know that I could see that necessarily. I don't. I don't know that it couldn't work. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of actors I think that could or couldn't work. But for example, if you compared him to Henry Golding uh, from Crazy Rich Asians and A Simple Plan or A Simple Favor, sorry, the the charisma that he kind of exudes in those films were yeah. a much better audition. Dev Patel didn't have that opportunity here because yeah. he, like you said, he's mysterious throughout this entire film. So basically, what happens is 
Dev Patel, we, we introduced to his character. He's coming to India and Pakistan. I don't remember where he starts off. In the I, think I, think I think it's Pakistan. I think it's Pakistan. And he's coming from Britain, mm-hmm. where he's been studying or something. He, we don't really know a lot about him. He essentially goes in and commits this kidnapping. Okay, he buys a gun, he sets up an insurance policy, all these kind of like weird things before he's going to go do this act, and he kidnaps this person. We don't know why he's kidnapped this girl. All we know is that she was about to get married to someone. And from there, it is a really strangely dramatic thriller. I I don't know how to word what this is. Why don't you explain what you thought about it? Because I think you really nailed the kind of feeling that this film has. It's like a travelogue, only with guns and jewels. It, and, and that really is the best way I know how to describe it. Because from the very beginning, if I could pick one my one word takeaway, it would be going. Because for for at least the first 10 minutes, all we see is Deb Patel going somewhere and then going somewhere else. And renting cars and going somewhere else and buying guns and then going somewhere else. And if you don't know what this synopsis is, if you don't know what this movie's about, by the time he actually gets to the main act, which we see is kidnapping this woman, we're like, is this like an advertisement for see India, see Pakistan, see gun control? You know, I, I don't know really what was going on here. I think it's beautifully shot and really great to look at. But the thing for me is that it never felt really tense. And I feel like a thriller should give me that. The first few minutes felt that way, him buying guns and then the kidnapping. And then it just kind of mellows out. And then by the end of the movie, I kind of feel like we're watching an extended couple's vacation with these two characters. And it wasn't bad, but when there's not that much thrill in a thriller, you're really missing something significant. Yeah, I felt much the same way. So to your point about it being a travelogue, the director of this film is Michael Winterbottom, director of such films as The Trip, The Trip to Italy, The Trip to Spain, On the Road, and A Summer in Genoa as well. So this guy is all about taking trips. Like I think that this is something he's very good at. He has done a lot of this filming people going into a new area. And kind of walking through that area. And I, I, like you, enjoy the cinematography. It's done by um, Giles Nutkins is his name. Mm-hmm. He actually did the cinematography for Hell or High Water, which is okay. one of my favorite films. Yeah, so yeah, I could see that. I was impressed by that. I was impressed by the score by mm-hmm. Harry Escott. The, there's a theme that continually plays through this film that feels almost like a weirdly slowed down version of Time by Hans Zimmer. I don't know if you felt like that, but that... that piece of music from Inception, that classic one, mm-hmm. it has all that that sound to it. So I liked the score. I liked the cinematography. I liked that when they were going through India and Pakistan, that it's incredibly realistic. It's stripped down. It's not fantastical. So these places are not shown to be more than they are. We literally are right. just observing them in their everyday element as life goes on in these places. And I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I did too. I, I think that for me, as someone who enjoys traveling to an extent, I always liked, by the end of the movie, I was looking forward to seeing what kind of hotel they were going to be checked into because, I mean, they were in at least five and they progressively seemed to get more luxurious as the as the movie went on. And 
I think if this were kind of an advertisement for seeing these two these two lands, I think for me that it's a great way to do it because these are two places that I wouldn't want to visit at least if I had choices. Like if I were given a choice, India, Pakistan, the Bahamas, hmm, probably going to take the Bahamas. But there's a lot about these two places that's really beautiful. And the cultural aspect of it that we get, while not really complex, is enough to get me intrigued to say, you know what? I didn't know that about that place. And it, it feels a little bit less foreign to me after watching it. Yeah, I think that was the best part. And that's probably unfortunate because, as you mentioned, it, there's just not enough tension in this. There's no real subplots either. It is a tight kind of 90-minute film. It's very straight to the point. It's a bit boring at times, honestly. There's a twist kind of that happens in the middle of the film that sort of changes the direction things are going and changes the relationship of kidnapper and kidnappy into something that I didn't necessarily enjoy or love. Um, and it ends with, it does end with a pretty good emotional moment, I think. I connected with it personally. We were talking about that uh, off air. Obviously, we're not going to spoil it here. So I think it's worth watching. I, I don't know that it's a film I would ever recommend for people to spend their money on in a theater. I think it's just plays just fine at home on your TV. Um, and it's worth a rental if you like seeing a really good Dev Patel performance and some cool, yeah. you know, landscape photography in <laughs> India and Pakistan. Yeah, good stuff. If you want to understand how people get your passports too. This is a great, great movie to show how people want to look at your passports. It's yeah, there was a lot of passporting you, you mentioned. Yes. That, so yes. Okay. Next up on our review list is a documentary. We love documentaries and we love talking about them here on FF plus. And it's called cradle of champions. This was actually on our schedule for last week and then it got pushed back a week. And so now that it's release date is right now, we are talking about it. You can find this on video on demand I believe either, is it this week or next week? Shoot, I should have written that down. Um, it is coming out very soon. In what this is, is a documentary that is based around the Golden Gloves Amateur Boxing Tournament, specifically in New York City, where unlike other Golden Gloves tournaments that are run across the United States and across the world, they actually give out Golden Gloves, <laughs> legitimate Golden Gloves as a trophy. So it stands out uh, against the other ones out there in the, the world. This tournament has produced more world champions than the Olympics, so it's got some clout behind it. And most people will have heard, I think, of the term Golden Gloves if they were familiar with any sort of sports or you've ever followed any kind of ESPN or local newspaper type sporting events. You usually will have heard the term Golden Gloves. And this one follows three amateur fighters in their, you know, early to mid-20s, two men, one woman, and it just kind of gives us a look into their lives and how they're training for this next competition that's coming up and what it means to them. So as a big boxing movie fan, I was pretty excited to check this out, uh, and I've got to tell you, it didn't quite do for me what I wanted it to do, unfortunately. It's intriguing to an extent. Some of the stuff we learn about these boxers is getting to find out what their home lives are like, their family lives, what has gotten them into boxing in the first place, whether it's a desire to be competitive and win, whether it's getting off of the streets and out of a world of crime or supplanting their school and education in one case. It's 
nice to learn about their stories, but I was never connected or felt connected to any of these three characters. I hate to say characters. These three people in the same way that I have been in boxing movies and to even other people in documentaries, I just didn't feel a strong relation to them. And so it never hooked me into their stories. I don't think in the way that maybe the film wanted to, I actually found myself resonating more with some of the stuff that, that it shows us about trainers. It shows us these trainers who help these amateur boxers along and do a really good job, honestly, of in a lot of times providing mentorship and a safe place, giving them advice and life lessons and helping them deal with things in a healthy way. And it sounds weird to say, you know, that they're in a boxing gym beating people up, but it's healthy. But when you watch these trainers, they're almost therapeutic in a lot of ways for these kids. And these, I, I call them kids, these young adults. They have to memorize five virtues in one of the gyms. Um, they can't curse. There can be no racial defamation or they get kicked out. So there's really interesting dynamic where it's not necessarily the barbarism that you might see in some movies portrayed. Yeah, I think the way you're describing it, I think there's some great discipline that gets kind of portrayed in that, it sounds like. And I mean, that's definitely part of something like any sport. And it is a bit ironic that there is a, a health mentality to a sport where you're literally punching someone in the face and in the body. And, but that makes sense, you know, to have gyms that have those kinds of disciplines because they do help kind of control you and put you in a, in a space where you can control your emotions and where you can be more strategic in how you, how you, how you fight. So, you know, boxing itself should be equally as much a mental sport as it is a physical one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the film, this is a Showtime documentary. And at the end of it, it tries to give us some boxing scenes and stylize them up a little bit. And it just doesn't work well for me. It feels out of place with the kind of handheld camera look of the rest of the documentary and interview style of it. So it gets dramatic. It plays that music and wants us to get all pumped up as if this was a Rocky or Creed fight. And it never comes close to eliciting that response for me. It also doesn't really show much of an unbiased view. Not that every documentary has to do that. There's no information on injuries that can be sustained from the sport or any kind of psychological connection to this being a violent hobby that could produce violence in other aspects of your life, things like that. It's definitely portrayed as a positive thing in all regards. But it's a cool tournament, and it was interesting to learn a little bit more about it. I personally did grow up, like I alluded to earlier in the, the beginning of this review, where I knew what Golden Gloves was. I've been to a couple of very small town Golden Gloves bouts, just amateur dudes from like high school who essentially go step in the ring and beat each other up. I never understood it. It was not my thing. It still is not my thing, but <laughs> uh, it was cool. Cool to see these kids. And it was a decent documentary. It was worth watching, which is where most of the stuff we watch falls. But <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't hate it. I think if you're interested in the topic, it's worth seeking out and checking out on video on demand. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, now it's time for Trailer talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That guy's goofy. I'm going to play that on repeat <laughs> for a whole segment. Okay. Oh, Two trailers came out this week, the first of which 
is for the new upcoming Disney live action adaptation, Aladdin. Previous to this, we've only seen snippets, enough to know that Will Smith is blue, and the world at large was not a fan. (laughs) As the memes have said. (laughs) To say the least. And to say in a very nice way. But this gave us a little bit more footage, and I think a lot better picture of what maybe we should be expecting from this feature film and this adaptation. How did the trailer work for you? Well, I actually have not seen the teaser. I got enough of the Will Smith memes to know that it wasn't received well, so I didn't bother with it. But after watching this one, it reminded me that there's something about live action that makes me take stories a bit more seriously in terms of their narratives. I I, I watched the opening sequence and was reminded of that same opening sequence in the, the animated version. I wasn't looking for you know, technical accuracy. Did he throw that right? Or did he jump that high? That kind of thing. I was really just sort of engulfed in it. And I love the cinematography of that opening sequence. I think the biggest thing that I took away from this is that I'm, I'm honestly anticipating reacting to this like I did to the live action beauty and the beast. However, my early prediction is that I will still prefer the original cartoon over this live action, unlike beauty and the beast, which I actually prefer the live action over its original cartoon counterpart. But what that says is that I'm actually looking forward to this. What it says is that you're wrong. It says that you're very, very (sighs) disturbingly, painfully wrong. And I don't ever interrupt you, but you're so wrong. And I I, I want to make sure that the listeners know I have defended Beauty and the Beast, which is in my top freaking 20 movies of all time, and you're dogging it. Jimmy Watson is now. You can't be saying oh my gosh, this right now. What gibberish are you speaking of? You just went to another language and into a higher decibel level. What's happening <laughs> here? Three words are the game changer for me. Are you ready? Pasek and Paul. Okay. I think that having new songs, period. I know I don't think they did the ones for Beauty and the Beast, but that was what elevated it for me. The fact that we got a little subplot here. I'm curious to see what they're going to bring to the table with their additional songs. I think they'll fit perfectly because Pasek and Paul, for my money, can do no wrong, with the exception of a possible now-known sequel to The Greatest Showman, which is a different conversation altogether. But overall, I thought the trailer was fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't think the, the stuff we get to see of Will Smith as the genie fits perfectly well. Will Smith is being Will Smith in this movie. That's that's fine. I think that that he's a good fit. I think seeing him blue was probably just a weird thing for a lot of people. But other sequences in the trailer show us him outside of his blue genius, which is which is great. And I think his humor is going to be just fine. Yeah, I think that knowing now that he won't be blue the whole time is going to put some people at ease, which, of course, narratively makes perfect sense. You're in a live action movie and he's trying to blend in and. When you're doing an animated film, that makes more sense to keep him blue, and, and it's cute. Just putting a, a disguise on him to fake the idea that he's not being noticed, but here he's blending in, so he's going to look like an everyday resident. I, too, am excited about the musical aspect of this, and I'm really anxious to find out what the new songs sound like. I couldn't agree more about Pasek and Paul being a big plus and bringing their new music to this, along with Minkin's original songs. I think gives us enormous potential in the musical department. I like seeing some of the musical numbers. They have that Bollywood feel to them, which 
I was hoping this movie would. And that opening sequence that we get a piece of is totally beat for beat along the animated films, you know, progression. And I, and I like that, but it feels like Guy Ritchie. I mean, there's some slow-mo going on and I was like, all right, cool. I wanted to know, were we going to get Guy Ritchie style? And I feel like that trailer showed that to me that comes with some not great cinematography. Uh, there are some shots in this that framing wise, it's like, man, that's also Guy Ritchie style, but there's so much color. It just pops off the screen. Personally, I'm not yet sold on the new Jafar. I really just have not warmed up to him yet. Jasmine looks great in the few things we get to see from her. The news came out that Alan Tudyk is going to voice Iago, which if it's not going to be Gilbert Gottfried, I cannot literally imagine a better fit than Alan doing that. We're going to get Fresh Prince of the Bel-Air, Will Smith, doing some rap. He's riding an ostrich in this movie. It's crazy. I, yeah, so I'm... I'm actually pretty excited for this one, more so than I was before this trailer, I will say. Right. And I think that this speaks to the benefits that trailers can have in terms of the more that they reveal, which is something that we cannot say and should not say for our next trailer talk. That's right. Way to transition us into that, Patrick. Good job. So the other trailer that dropped, this happened just this morning, and I wasn't expecting it. But it was for Avengers Endgame, and it's the second theatrical trailer I think we've gotten. And a lot is going on in this. There's a lot of subtle things going on, despite most of the footage being flashbacks. It's really expertly put together, I think, because if we've learned one thing over the course of the last several years of MCU films, it's that they have gotten really good at subterfuge. And not necessarily all out tricking an audience, but letting knowing what their fans are going to think based on what they show us and giving us something slightly different when the actual movie comes out. I expect a lot of that to happen here. I expect them to misdirect us. But we saw some really cool stuff, Patrick. I, so the first thing I'm going to mention is Hawkeye. There's a lot of Hawkeye in this trailer which kind of made me happy, except we have this scene of him shooting a young girl. No, wait, I said that wrong. <laughs> I, don't worry, people. Whoa. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Hawkeye's gone rogue. No, um, uh, he is teaching a young girl how to, how to shoot a bow. And that's a much different thing. <laughs> and my first thought was that's his daughter all grown up and I almost got teary thinking about the fact that he's a dad and what if he lost his family later on I realized maybe she's actually a little older than his daughter because I went back and I realized that his daughter was a toddler maybe five six ish maybe seven at the most in Age of Ultron and that was four years ago and now so it would put her at like 10 or 11 and this girl looked a little older than that I think so who this could be Potentially Kate Bishop for non-Marvel fans. That is uh, another character who took up the mantle of Hawkeye or Lady Hawkeye later in the comics. So could be a cool new introduction of a character that goes forward in this. But that also might lead us to believe that his family's gone, which scares me. And I don't even want to think about. 
But I really enjoyed a lot of Hawkeye, even the mohawk that Hawkeye is sporting. I don't know what's going on there, but he looked cool. There are a lot of characters with brand new do's. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got Scarlet doing doing her thing with her new hairdo, and you got Hawkeye doing his thing, coming out to play. I watched this trailer, and it reminded me of what I think a lot of people are anticipating, and that's the end of an era. I mean, it's no secret that contracts are coming to an end. Uh, some folks have said this is their last hurrah. And I think that the way in which Endgame is shaping up, if there's the potential for time travel, which I think the opening sort of hints at that a little bit, I think it will be subtly a tribute to the last 10 years. I mean, it's no secret that Marvel has touted the fact that they are 10 years old. They've been doing this this long, a decade of wow for their fans and for moviegoers everywhere. And so I think that this movie will double as a tribute to where they started and where they are now leading into the, the next phase of their movie slate. The other thing that I pulled out of this was I'm wondering with what we saw in the trailer, are we going to have like two separate teams? Cause we got like these power Avengers with Thor and Captain Marvel. Are they going to be taking on Thanos while you've got these other guys that are doing something else, maybe in the quantum realm. So there's just, there's a lot going on without saying too much. And I think that that's, that's a really good thing. I know that Don has said what I've been thinking about since the end of, of uh, infinity war, which is don't show us anything. You've got enough going for you from that movie that if you didn't show a single trailer, it would probably make a lot more money. You get a lot more people hyped. But the fact is, I think trailers like this give us just enough to speculate and have conversations like this to keep it fun, but to also keep us in the dark with that misdirection that you talked about. Yeah, if it, if it was showing anything more than this, I'd be upset. I really would. And I, and I really am thankful that they have done these the way that they have. And I'm glad that they have. I, I actually don't agree with that. I think that trailers are always going to bring in more. They really are. I just don't think that not dropping a trailer would result in more business ever in a million years. I think it would result in less. I don't think that it would be necessarily measurable <laughs> that much either way, to be honest. And it, I could take it or leave it, but I enjoy it. I enjoy getting run through the ringer because I'm an emotional being. And for some reason, I'm a glutton for punishment. And I like getting all emotional every time I see these new trailers, thinking about, is Pepper going to be pregnant? I think that time travel is definitely in play. There's a Peggy Carter voiceover that's happening, and it comes from a conversation she had with Cap in the past where she says, sometimes the best we can do is to start over. I think that alludes to a potential time travel. Those suits they're wearing at the end of the trailer, the red and the white suits that are kind of armored looking, to me, those resembled Ant-Man's suit design and coloring enough that I think those are Quantum Realm suits, so I kind of had that same idea in my head. I think you're right. I think there may be two very different teams going on here with the power Avengers, I guess. And then the, you know, ones like Black Widow that just have a couple Glocks. <laughs> and I don't think that that's going to do much against Thanos, frankly. I mean, more power to you, girl. You do your thing. But uh, no, that's not going to do it. So we'll see. There's a great shot in this trailer, too, of Rocket. He's on War Machine's shoulder. And I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, give it to me. I can't wait. And then when they're all doing the whole whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, at the end, I get chills. And I'm just, I'm ready. 
I'm oh, so gosh. ready. I'm I'm ready too, but I just when I hear whatever it takes, all I can think of is a line from Mr. Mom where <laughs> he's going Wow. Twenty I know, and that's just me. That's just me. So you know, for your sake though, I hope that we get the goose and rocket interaction at some point. Dude, if we don't in if if you give me a three hour Avengers Endgame movie and you can't give me a goose and rocket meeting, I'm we're gonna have words, Russo's. We're gonna have a problem. <laughs> That's just a fact. It is a fact. Is Listen, a fact. he's serious. He's not playing around. He's giving me the serious I'm look. Not. I know. I am. I'm dead serious. He's not you smiling. You don't want to make me mad. No. You, you wouldn't like me when I'm mad. <laughs> you turn into a big cat <laughs> instead of just a cat. Mother flurkin. All right. <laughs> well, speaking of flurkins, see, look at that. Look at us transitioning even without trying, Patrick. <laughs> It's a rare thing. You hold this in your hearts, kids, because this is not going to happen a lot. That's right. These were not pre-planned. We just are that good. So Captain Marvel came out last week. We had an awesome conversation on the podcast with Patrick Willems, our guest. And if you've not gotten a chance to listen to that and you've seen Captain Marvel since opening weekend, we encourage you to go back, download that, and give it a listen. It is a really good talk. He always brings amazing thoughts and ideas to the conversation. And one of the things we talked a lot about was Goose and our love for Goose, the character in the film, who is a cat-slash-alien-being thing. And so, IndieWire puts out this survey every week called the IndieWire Critics Survey. And I usually am invited to participate in that. Unfortunately, I was not able to do so this week. I didn't have the time. That was very depressing because I'm a cat guy. And everybody knows me as the cat guy. I have three cats here in my home. I've always had at least two or three. I love them to death. One of them is my absolute best friend in the world. And so I should have gotten to, well, minus Patrick. Like, best friend? Wow. Now nah, I don't even know how to come back from that. So he's shaking his head at me, folks. Yep, I'm digging a hole, digging deeper. Well, I love my cats. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, we'll move on. So we decided we wanted to give our best movie cats, since I did not get a chance to participate in that survey. Patrick's an animal guy as well. He has a pet cat. And so we thought it would be fun not only to give our favorite movie cats, but to invite our listeners to do the same. And we have not used our voicemail nearly enough in the time since we've set it up. And we decided this was a good opportunity to do that. So here, for your listening pleasure, are some of our Feelin' Film listeners' favorite movie cats. Hi, Aaron and Patrick. This is Ryan Cohen calling in with my favorite movie cat. That would be Jake from The Cat from Outer Space. Um, I always loved the fact that he had telepathy and telekinesis, and he could always deal with those evil soldiers that were out trying to get him. That probably has something to do with my, not necessarily fear of cats, but since I'm allergic, my distrust from cats, because I think they're all out to get me now these days. Thank you. Have a good show. Hi, Erin and Patrick. This is Renee. My favorite movie cat is Thackeray Binks from Hocus Pocus. I finally chose Binks because he is an immortal black cat who has become one of the most recognizable Halloween cats. He is voiced by, in the film by Jason Marsden. Binks is played by nine different cats who each has their own skills, whether it is sitting or swatting, an animatronic cat is used during specific key points in the film. The graphics company 
responsible for the CG and Hocus Pocus had a more frightening plan for Binks, but thankfully they scaled it back and he's a bit more friendlier in the final version of the film. Binks' character is caring, he's brave, he's protective, and he obviously has more than nine lives. He is determined not to fail, and it's very admirable. Him and Danny form a bond over the course of the film, and they care about each other. If I ever own a male black cat, I will name him Binks. Also, hashtag Aaron, get a dog. What's up, Phil and Film Crew? This is Ray from Retro Reviews Podcast. I would give my two cents about my favorite cat in a movie. And I would have to go with Church from Pet Cemetery. Even though it's not a cuddly and friendly character in this movie, it's just a cat that just stuck with me for a long time growing up. I've never really seen it on DVD or anything like that. I always saw it on the windows on USA Network or TNT. And this Church has always stuck with me for such a long time as a character in the movie. And instead of being like a fuzzy, nice character, it's just omen that just walks around the movie and when you see church in the background in, the, in pet cemetery you know stuff is about to go down and those eyes man in this movie always freak me out as a kid and they still do as an adult 36 year old man it's, it's just really freaky i don't know i guess that's why it's my favorite cat it always pops in my head you guys are doing a great job with the podcast keep it up thank you and keep on going peace gentlemen this is don shanahan of every movie has a lesson but also a contributor right here on feeling film I could not resist the chance to chime in with a voicemail because you guys brought up cats and it's fun to talk about your favorite cats. For me, uh, it's Mr. Jinx from Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. Any cat that can hang with Robert De Niro and any cat that can intimidate at the level that Robert De Niro can gets the vote in my book. That guy can flush a toilet. That guy can steal the thunder of any person on screen, including De Niro. But most of all, I love to see him mess with Ben Stiller. I love to see all the calamity that it ensues and meet the parents and meet the fuckers because of that steely-eyed, expressionless, but mean little cat. I tell you what, Mr. Jinx is my pick for meet the parents and meet the fuckers. Enjoy the show, gentlemen. Take care. Uh, yes, this is Drew. Cat I would pick would be Spot from uh, Star Trek Generation, Star Trek Nemesis, and, of course, the TV show Star Trek The Next Generation. And, of course, I have to pick that one because I had a cat named Spot. Hello, my name is Kevin. My YouTube page, you can follow me, is on The Dapper Man. And my favorite cat is Puss in Boots. It's also Shrek 2. It's my favorite cat in any movie because it just had so much charisma. It had just a charm, especially being voiced by Antonio Banderas. It's one of the best cats I've ever seen in any film. And I think it's a solid film, better than the other Shreks. And he really stands out in that movie. So if you get a chance, I would say... If you have never seen it, watch Shrek 2. Puss in Boots is the greatest character in the whole Shrek franchise, in my opinion. That's just my humble opinion. Thank you. Hey, Feelin' Film. I'm Ashlyn, and my favorite movie cat is all of the Aristocats. I know it's kind of cheating to pick more than one, but, I mean, let's be honest, who can pick just one cat? I chose the Aristocats because it shows all types of cats, from posh house pets to strays living on the street. Thanks. That was fun. So cool to hear everybody call in, Patrick. And one thing that stuck out to me is that everybody picked something different, and I yeah. thought that was really neat. Yeah, that's a good stuff. And there are so many cats out there, but having such different responses says a lot about the people themselves that pick them. And I'm hoping that we get that with each other's because I haven't heard yours, and you haven't heard mine. So I'm excited to see what, what we have to offer as well. Well, 
I got to tell you, so my daughter there at the end of that little listener bit, she shared that she was picking the Aristocats because there are so many of them and that it was kind of cheating. And I guess she takes after me because... (laughs) Because if you really thought that I was going to only Shocker. pick one, if you thought Shocker. I was going to pick one cat, <laughs> you're crazy. Crazy, folks. You're absolutely crazy if you thought I was going to pick one cat. No, I tried. I did. I narrowed it down to two, okay? And I actually rewatched both movies to make a decision and pick one cat. The first of the two was Gigi from Kiki's Delivery Service. And I think this is kind of cool because the first time I saw Kiki's Delivery Service was with you, Patrick, in your home in Arkansas with my kids and I were visiting you on vacation. So that was a cool little tie-in. Gigi is a little black cat that talks, voiced in the American version by Phil Hartman, and he is Kiki's best friend. She's the only one that can hear him. And he reminds me of my, like I said earlier, best friend, my black cat, Strider. He is so expressive. He's full of personality. And he's always there with her. He's smart. He gives great advice. He has his own agency, even having his own little love story in the, in the movie that takes him on a subplot. It's adorable and i love watching him interact with her and just provide this presence for her throughout the whole film he's such a charmer and i just think that because of my connection to black cats in general it elevates Gigi for me and i i can't help but think of how adorable he is on screen and it just reminds me of strider and so that was one of mine okay and that, um, that very much makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of mine. And it was really close to being my pick. But when I thought long and hard about it after rewatching these movies, I realized that I wanted my cat to be special. So it wasn't going to be just a house cat that was in a movie and had a scene or two. It had to be central to the plot, it had to matter. And Gigi is closer to that than most cats. But the cat that I landed on, like the movie is a pretty much about the cat. And his name is the Baron. Baron Humbert von Gickingen in The Cat Returns. Okay. <laughs> I'm not laughing at your pick, I'm laughing at the way you said that. That's just it's a you get you get a gold star for that attempt. It's a very hard name to pronounce. Okay? It is. So I'm that's not... why that's why we call him the Baron. So we'll just yes. stick with the Baron. Yes. So I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Patrick. I watched it during a Fathom event for the first time, I think, last year. I had not actually heard of it. It's a spinoff story of Miyazaki's Whisper of the Heart movie. Yeah, we, we talked about this last year because during my summer of anime, when I talked to you about the movie, I think I told you about it in one of our What We've Been Up To's, and you mentioned that movie as being a spinoff, and I never got a chance to to see it. Well, it's amazing, and it centers around this story about a girl named Haru who rescues a cat. Turns out that this cat is uh, royalty, and she ends up getting betrothed unknowingly to this cat king who wards over the fantastical cat kingdom, and she ends up going on this incredible quest adventure where this cat figurine comes to life to help 
her or others in his past, but to help her in this situation, solving her problems. And that's the Baron. And so he becomes this guide for her into this world. He's anthropomorphic. So I really enjoy that because he has all of the human qualities. He's like Indiana Jones plus Sherlock Holmes plus a real debonair, suave character all rolled up into one. He's classy and refined, but he can handle action too. He's great with his cane. He's great with a sword. He's handsome. He's confident. He's smart. He's really just honestly badass in every way. And the fact that he is so iconic. He has this top hat. He rides a crow. He wears a suit. And I love it. Um, he's voiced by Carrie Ills from The Princess Bride. So yes. it's a very recognizable voice for this type of character. It's easy to see him as a real live cat, I guess. Like it's, it's, You just don't even think twice about it. He has awesome advice for her. He has this great line in the movie where he says, Always believe in yourself. Do this, and no matter where you are, you will have nothing to fear. And so the fact that he gets some of the most impactful moments in this film and the most meaningful scenes, he's really a main character right there along with Haru, and I just love him. I think he's awesome. I'd love to be friends with him. And so I have to go with the Baron as my number one pick. It's interesting because there's an honorable mention in this film. There's a cat called Muta who is a sidekick of the Baron and of Haru, and he's like this big, huge, fat cat. He actually gets called, lovingly, their fat friend. And he is also a guide throughout this adventure with the Baron trying to save her, and he provides so much humor and comic relief. And just the two of them together in this movie make it so much fun to watch. Like, I can't... I I think you should watch it. I think you should watch it with Carson, your son, because he would enjoy... Just a bunch of talking cats, you know, running around having an adventure. It's hmm. a lot of fun. So, yeah, the Baron, that's my number one. That's good. That's good. And I, I love the fact that, one, you've picked some great anime characters. And two, they are both domestics, which fit, I think, your personality. Because if you're going to pick cats, you as an Aaron, they're going to be domestics. I, however, did not go that route. I narrowed mine down to four all of which were wildcats, all of which were lions, actually. And this is no surprise to me. These particular cats stand out to me as having not only fantastic personalities, but significant to their stories in different ways. And I'll go ahead and just give you my other three before I give you my number one. I've got King Leonidas from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, one of my favorite musicals uh, from from the 60s or 70s. I can't remember specifically when it was. Fantastic. You've got uh, Mufasa from The Lion King, and then you've got Aslan from The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which makes me more anticipating the Netflix reboot of that series. I'm excited to see what they can do, maybe carry it on to completion. But my number one, and this was kind of a surprise to me whenever I was looking at this list, because you've got these regal big cats who have significance in their movies. And the cat that I picked was Prince John from the animated Robin Hood. Nice. And I asked myself, why in the world did you pick him over Aslan and Mufasa? <laughs> I mean, that's that's some pretty stiff competition. And I realized that I love comedy. I mean, I'm if I'm going to pick one over the other between comedy and drama, I'm going to probably err on the side of comedy when it comes to uh, my stories. And I think he represents this perfect humor in one of my favorite animated movies. 
he completely embodies the truth of who I have seen Prince John being in all of these iterations of Robin Hood, full of corruption and arrogance, while trying to represent the throne that his brother, fighting in the Crusades, rightfully owned. But what I love about this character is that he portrays it in such a satirical way, playing this role of a spoiled child, which is what Prince John is as a character, but it's played so much for laughs that he comes across as incredibly entertaining and in some ways a little bit sympathetic. I think I feel his pain of wanting to have this greatness that his brother, who from the way he is portrayed, his brother seems to get all the love from his parents. Like he's mommy's favorite and now he's off doing something just noble and courageous while, you know, his little brother is sitting at home trying to put this crown on his head that can only fit when he stretches out his ears and still doesn't fit because it's too heavy to fit on his head. It just doesn't fit. He is probably my favorite character in that entire movie because of the fact that he plays both a great villain and a great comedian at the same time. He's a court jester to me, but he's a court jester with power. When it comes down to it, when he needs to be serious or when he needs to be dramatic for the story, he does that. I also love the way... He sucks his thumb. He sucks his thumb and he begs for mommy, you know, when something bad happens. But also when he, some of the lines he says, like the way he laughs, aha, aha. It's so just, it's that arrogance that I love. And anytime I pop that movie in, he's the best part of it for me. It makes me want to go back in and rewatch it. I hope at some point we get to cover it on the podcast just so I can kind of ooh and ah over, over him again. But yeah, Prince John, Robin Hood, that's my, that's my cat. Very cool, man. Very cool. Very interesting, unique decision that I did not see coming. So that makes it fun. And that means that all, let's see, there were seven listener responses, I think. And we mentioned multiple cats as well. I don't think there was any doubling up, which is shocking to me that we didn't have a single cat mentioned twice out of all of that time. You know, Mufasa and Simba were close. If I had gone... For any sort of wildcat, it would have been hard not to go for them. And, and Mufasa in particular, just as a father especially, mm-hmm. is so affecting. Yeah. But I he got cut in my I wanted a main character or a primary character that was really intricate to the plot, which King John, it fits that as well. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. It seems like we were thinking along the same lines there. Yeah. But yeah, this was fun, man. It was good stuff. It was cool <laughs> to hear from the listeners. Um, and I can't wait to see more cats in movies. Yeah, it'll be it'll be exciting to see. Maybe we'll see some cats coming up. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll have some cats in um, Endgame that, you know, families of, of these uh, Flurkles or, or Flurkins. Flirk, oh, my gosh. If Goose has a family. <gasps> and, oh, oh, don't even get me excited. For Watch that. out. Watch out. A little litter of Flurkins. That would be great. Well, that, Amazing. That would be great. <laughs> well, that's all from us. Uh, we're glad that you guys joined us on another episode of FF+. Plus. Coming up in a few days, we are going to be covering what was going to be five feet apart, but we're calling it Audible and instead going to be talking about the fault in our stars. So be ready for that dropping uh, on Monday. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. 
We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Phil, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.